Hi, this is Rachel in Recovery. We've got a special guest with us today, Steve. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself. And he uh, he was married to a woman who was a sexual abuse survivor. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that. But he's also going to tell us about uh, a website that he created um, for partners with with uh, that have been sexually abused and being that supportive partner. Um, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so a little bit about myself. Um, was married to a survivor of childhood sexual abuse for quite a while. And, um, you know, relationships can be tough, even in the best of circumstances. So, um, you know, we had some challenges. And I was looking around. Uh, I had my own counselor. And I was looking around also for, like, support groups, right, or resources for partners of people who have been uh, sexually abused as children and I couldn't find any. And so there weren't any online forums. There weren't any support groups, in-person support groups. Um, could find all sorts of things for survivors themselves. But, um, you know, when you say, oh, well, what about partners of survivors? We have some needs too that are kind of, um, you know, special and unique. So what about that? And I didn't find anything, and it was really frustrating to me. Um, so I was asking my counselor about it, and she said, you know, I couldn't find anything either. There isn't really anything out there. And so I thought that was kind of odd. Um, you know, this was like 2007, 2008 or so. And, um, you know, there were a couple of books out there, but um, they didn't really do much for me. So uh, I have a bit of a technical background. so. I thought, you know, I'm just going to set up a private, uh, you know, members only peer support group for partners of survivors like me. Um, and so I did. I started a website that's uh, called supportforpartners.org. If anyone wants to check it out, um, it is completely, um, it, it's amateur. You know, it's just, you know, you're not going in there. Don't go in, you know, expecting professional counseling. It really is all about peer support. Um, and so, uh, you know, actually my, my counselor challenged me to that. She said, well, Steve, if there's nothing out there, what are you going to do about it? And so, you know, that kind of spurred me to do this. And so that's been going since 2008. And we've had um, a number of people subscribe over the years, people who've been there for a long time or just a little bit. And... Uh, yeah, so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Okay. Um, I guess, tell us a little bit about your own experience. Like, what were some of the things mm -hmm. you, you struggled with the most? Sure. So, you know, one thing uh, that's a struggle is um, intimacy and trust, I think. You know, uh, intimacy and trust are sort of recurring uh, challenges with um these relationships and, and over the years, as I've, um, you know, read more stories for people who have joined the site, those are some recurring themes. Um, and if you think about it, it, it really makes sense. You know, when, uh, a child is, is abused, I think whether sexually or physically, emotionally, mentally, um, there's a level of trust that was betrayed, right? And because they trusted and it was betrayed, um, bad things happened. And so um, I think that that sort of sets a certain way of thinking in place that 
vulnerability that is needed for trust can be dangerous because then that trust is broken and bad things happen. So um, you really can't be intimate with someone without being vulnerable and trusting them, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, that's one of the, the biggest challenges for partners of survivors is, you know, how do we um, deal with uh, intimacy and trust? Because a lot of times what happens is the survivor will sort of shut down intimacy and trust, um, you know, for <clears throat> whatever reasons, I'm sure, you know, maybe, maybe it's protective or, you know, they're um, trying to do all they can to recover themselves. But then, you know, when that intimacy and trust shuts down, that can be pretty bewildering for us partners. Uh, like, hold it, what happened? Why did that happen? Um, what can I do? How can we repair this? And, um, you know, there's no easy answers for that. So, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, what the forum, the online site, I'll call it the forum too, um, is really all about is, um, you know, people learning from others. Um, you know, my, my marriage, honestly, it didn't last. Um, we ended up divorcing, which was, I think, the best outcome. I mean, you know, no one goes into marriage wanting to divorce. No one uh, is necessarily happy to divorce. But, um, you know, it turns out we weren't able to make things work out. Um, divorced and, you know, I've since moved on and, and remarried and am very happy. Um, I still run the site and, um, you know, take care of that. But, um, yeah, that's where we're at. Um. What were some of the resources you found that were helpful? Yeah, you know, that's one of the problems. Um, there aren't a lot of resources out there um, that are helpful. Um, if you look for sort of tailor-made things, there are some books. I think, you know, one of the classics is called Ghosts in the Bedroom. Um, you search for that book on Amazon, you'll probably find some others related to it. And, you know, it, it didn't help much for me, but it helps other people. Um, one of the best resources uh, I can recommend for partners of survivors is get your own counselor. Um, you might be in couples counseling, which is good, um, but you know, trying to make these relationships work and working through the issues takes incredible energy. And it's really good to be able to um, work through some of those issues with someone who uh, is professional at it, right? So my counselor helped me a lot with that. Um, <clears throat> it's also good to talk with others who are in similar situations, which is the peer support site that I set up. That's what that's all about. It's, you know, when you're going through something alone, you think you're the only one in the world that's, that's there uh, going through it. And when you join a site like this one that has a lot of other people in similar situations, it's kind of refreshing to know that you're not alone anymore. And those things help. Self-care, I, I tell people self-care is one of the biggest things you can do to uh, help yourself through this. Um, it's, you know, it's a, the, the relationships can be draining and whatever drains out of you, you've got to fill it back up. And you do that with self-care. And self-care means different things for different people. I, I say that it's 
you know, do those things that rebuild your enthusiasm, that rejuvenate you, that give you energy, that build your energy, whatever those are, you know, it could be healthy relationships with friends and family, could be cycling, it could be exercising, it could be uh, carpentry, <laughs> could be cooking. I love to cook and that's, a, that's a, something for me. But uh, whatever it is, you know, self-care is, I think, where it starts. Um, and then self-awareness, I think, is another important thing here. Because, you know, you have to ask yourself, why am I here? Why do I continue to stay in this relationship if it's so hard? And that's a valid question, right? And I think it, uh, by searching that question, you learn about yourself and um, you learn about your partner and you have a better understanding of, of how you got there and where you want to go. And then I tell people often the one of the third things that I look at is um, setting some realistic expectations. So I think once you have your energy back and once you have uh, some self-awareness about why you are where you are, um, you can set some realistic expectations um, and I say realistic because, you know, you, you really need to be able to achieve those expectations. You know, if you're expecting perfection, well, it's not going to happen. And perfection doesn't happen with any relationship. So what are some expectations that you can set? Um, yeah, hopefully, you know, ideally in cooperation with your partner, you know, setting some expectations so that, you know, you can achieve them and you can be um, uh a little more content, right? Because meeting those expectations leads to a level of contentment. Um, and then longer term, you might decide that, you know, those expectations are fine. You can live with that or you can't um, or whatever. But, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the advice and the, the roadmap that I talk with people about. Well, and I, I read the book. Uh, I think it's Allies of Those Who've... Allies and Healing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I found... Because, I mean, I'm not only a survivor, but I've also dated several survivors myself. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of one of those people that are, like, in AA and Al-Anon. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. I was going to talk about that up front. Like, you know, where's the Al-Anon for, you know, sexual <laughs> abuse survivors, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, because, I mean, one, there's a lot of addiction with those who are survivors. So, yeah. And I feel like a lot of the same issues occur, even though we're not addicted to alcohol necessarily. We usually have some sort of addiction, but, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, whatever that may be, uh, it may not be as toxic as, you know, drugs and alcohol. But no, it's um, the emotional turmoil is very similar. Yeah. You know, I, I did read a study. I don't have it in front of me, but... Um... They found the study found that um, childhood abuse is the strongest predictor of addictions in adults. And um, oh, yeah. when you think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Really, really, really does. Um, I like to the way I think about it is that you know, as a kid growing up, you're forming your foundation for how you see the world and how you see yourself. And when that is damaged through abuse of any kind. I think it puts some damage into the, into that foundation. Um, and it's really hard to repair a foundation after you built the house on top of it. Right. So the, you build that foundation as a kid, then you become a young adult, you're building the house on top of that foundation. And then eventually you realize, 
hey, my foundation's broken. It's tough to fix at that point. It's not impossible, but it's tough to fix and it takes hard work. Um, so I can, I can understand, you know, the link between abuse and addiction it makes perfect sense for me. Well, I mean, and I mean, just eating disorders and all kinds of other things. I mm-hmm. mean, the list is a mile long and, you know, the higher the A score, the more medical issues that come along with that. And the A scores are mm-hmm. based. I don't know if you've heard about the A scores, but I have not. What's the A score? The A score is like a, it's a one to 10 survey questionnaire and it mostly you know it has to do with different types of abuse neglect you know some of the questions were you sexually Mm -hmm. abused or physically abused you know Mm -hmm. was your mother you know physically abused by your father was there divorce was there uh uh where was your you know how many absent parents did you have a parent with a mental illness i mean and it's Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's all of them, but there's 10 of them. And th- those are the types of questions they ask. Mm-hmm. And, the, yeah. and the more you, ha- the higher your number is. And if you're over like four, you just, you're more, your health complications just go rise tremendously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the mind and body are linked. Oh and yeah. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, it's a, a big, to, a big thing about, <laughs> A question I get from a lot of different uh, partners is like, you know, the abuse my partner went through wasn't as bad as the abuse I know someone else went through. And that other person is doing so much better than my partner. So what's up with that? And so um, one of the things I found through just reading and research is that, you know, if a, if a kid is abused and they come back to a uh, supportive family and they can tell their family about it and their family supports them and gives them the help they need right there at that point in time, then the damage of that abuse is likely to be much more muted in the long term. Oh yeah. Right. Make perfect sense because you're, you're treating the, the damage at the point it happened instead of waiting years, right. Before you treat it. If you come back to a dysfunctional family or you don't say anything or you get blamed for it or whatever, you know, then that's a whole different story. And I think it doesn't, in my experience from what I've read and, and from talking with other partners, it's not so much the type of abuse or severity of the abuse. It's the fact that the abuse happened and the family wasn't supportive um, or the the survivor didn't feel they could talk about it. And so uh, it keeps stays bottled up inside for a long time. And that's, you know, when it stays bottled up like that, I think it's, it's like an acid, right? It's going to eat away at things and eventually um, comes to the surface, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't address those issues and they have nowhere to go, they'll just eat at you for years and you'll see mm-hmm. it over time. You know, you're like, why is this person? So like it come out most of the time as self, some sort of self-sabotaging Right. Yeah. And that's where, um, you know, one of the things that I learned about being a partner of a survivor is um, there's this thing called secondary abuse um, where, you know, the partners weren't the ones actually abused, but the abuse has a knock on effect essentially to the partners. And, and I think that's real. Um, You know, there's, there's times where survivors can project, um, on, you know, the, the abuser onto their partners because we're touching on the, 
intimacy and uh, the trust issues. And so there's a lot of times where, you know, partners coming to the site will say that um, they were accused of, of being abusive, but they weren't really. When, when you talk to them and hear them describe it, they weren't abusive, but they were getting blamed for it. Um, and there's other things like that. So there's a sort of projection that comes on the partners too, which is very confusing to deal with because you're saying, well, I didn't know about your abuse. You just told me. So, you know, my past actions, I, you know, they were viewed one way then and now they're viewed a different way because now I know, or, you know, the anger you have towards me is, it just feels so undeserved. What did I do to deserve that level of anger? And so, um, you know, the, Partners, I think, you know, can be secondary victims of that trauma. And that's what's confusing because it sort of comes out of nowhere sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've been on the receiving end and I probably distributed some of that myself. So <laughs> because in my mm -hmm. experience, trauma attracts trauma. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I can. I can see that as well. And both of my, yeah, my parents' marriage was a good example of that, but mm. so, cause I'm at least second generation on my mom's side. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I suspect my dad was sexually abused, but I don't have any evidence. Mm. So yeah, there, uh, yep. That stuff is, uh, it's not, it's multi-generational sometimes too. It is. It is. Yeah, it can be. Um, you know, people are, I think, scared that if, um, you know, if their partner was abused, is it going to make their partner likely to abuse their own kids? And, and I don't think that that's the issue. I think it's not so much that a abused person abuses others. I think it's, um, I think it has a lot to do with stability and protection of the kids as they grow up. Um, but even, even then you can be the best parent in the world and there's still truly bad people out there in the world who will do bad things. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, that happens a lot. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. and a lot of, I mean, especially depending if they end up with, I mean, a lot of survivors end up with some pretty severe mental illnesses from this, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're talking schizo like schizophrenia or dissociation, dissociation, yeah. BPD. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the list is a mile, I mean, all kinds of anxiety, depression, ADHD. The list is, you know, mental illness and childhood sexual abuse is really long. And I mean, and some yeah. of these are. The, you know they're li they're lifers you know and there's for sure yeah you know and the best thing you can do is manage it which can be very challenging and i think that's where um there's a lot of learning for partners of survivors um you know learning about dissociation for example you know that's i i don't know how common it is with abuse survivors but i think it's fairly common it's not you know, not the majority, but it's there. And when someone dissociates, it's really confusing for a partner if they don't know that that's happening. Um, 
And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, people in the support for partners site will talk about is, you know, my partner just went off on me and, you know, verbally beat up on me. And then an hour later, they denied it. They didn't think they did, or they said it wasn't that bad. And I think that's, that can be maybe some dissociation going on. Um, and it's really confusing. So, you know, as partners, you know, we, we fall in love with our partners, right? <laughs> um, and we fall in love and we don't know about a lot of these things. And then they start to happen and it's very confusing because it's like out of the blue. And so, you know, what do I do now? Right. So everything was fine. Something triggered my partner and now they haven't talked to me in, in, in three weeks or it's been three years since we've been intimate with each other um, because um, of flashbacks. And so, um, but it's not really, explained and and it's it's very confusing i would say it can be so you know being able to talk with other people who have gone through that can be it's it's a very um well it can help but also it can be very discouraging too um you know when people come to the site sometimes they're discouraged because it's like there's no happy stories here and i remind people that you know if you're coming to a site like support for partners um, it's because you're having trouble and you're looking for help. If, as a partner of a sexual abuse survivor, you and your partner have been able to work things out and make it work and have a happy, healthy relationship, well, there's no need to come to a place like that, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's a self-selecting sort of group. Um, and it, it can be a little depressing, but I tell people, um, you know, focus on the stories, right? Focus on the stories that are told and how you might identify with those and what you might learn from them. Um, uh, and, you know, try not to get discouraged, um, you know, because your, your path isn't going to be the same as anyone else's path. And so, you know, learn what you can and take what you can and apply it. And All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Steve, thanks for being here. He's coming back next week to tell the rest of his story. And always find us on your favorite social media platform and on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to support us, which we appreciate greatly, go to Patreon and find us. And there's all kinds of goodies. You can find um, t-shirts, mugs for higher brackets. It's always sweatshirts, Um, And they have all kinds of goodies you can do if you do a monthly membership. If you want to check us out. And always come to rachelandrecovery.com for any of your other needs with Rachel and Recovery. And you can always find your favorite book list of Rachel's. So I'm always reading new books and posting new books. So feel free to check that out.